Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and listen, on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term Show, Nick and I get some technical curveballs thrown our way. We had some technical difficulties, and the podcast just stopped recording twice on us. So the first time, you'll, you'll hear us mention it. The second time, we were so frustrated with it, I think we just started recording again. So if you hear two choppy sections throughout this podcast, one the first one I think is about 35, 36, 37 minutes in, and then 10 minutes later, it kind of happened again, and then we just ended the podcast, I think, out of frustration by the end. Um, so I need a new MacBook Pro, I think. Um, I've been having some challenges with this one, so I need to I need to change the setup here a little bit. So hopefully we'll get that fixed up. But when you hear some technical difficulties, that is what is going on. And that's what we were struggling with, but we got it done. And what we talked about on this particular episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, it's Nick and myself. There's no guest on with us. And we're talking about some of the headlines we're seeing in the news. So CMHC put a, um, uh, an article out about home buyers and stricter mortgage rules we comment on. There are some people in the Globe and Mail talking about the surprise, the surprising resilience of the Canadian housing market. We talk about that and some of the immigration numbers. And then TD has uh, something that they shared um, all about Canada's debt levels and deficits and the whole bit. So we talk about that along with interest rates. So this is a bit of a catch up on just what is happening in the world at this moment. And we banter on about all these things. So a little bit of a, a rock star chit chat episode. Hopefully enjoy it. And listen, if you are listening to this and you are not yet a member of the Rockstar Inner Circle, what are you waiting for? Here is all the things that you get when you're a member of the Rockstar Inner Circle. This is a membership that we run full of real estate investors buying properties all across the GTA from as far east as Belleville to as far north as, well, further north than Aurelia, but I'll say Aurelia for now, Aurelia, and then all the way around to Kitchener, Cambridge, Waterloo, London, Woodstock, um, Hamilton, Brantford, the whole Niagara region, St. Catharines, Welland, everything, Port Coburn even. So this is what we are doing and the membership works like this. The first thing that you get is you are mapped to a coach here on the team that is part of Rockstar Real Estate, which is the brokerage that we own. And you are mapped to somebody there who is in a real estate investor themselves. You can meet with them as many times as you want. And we set up a plan for your real estate investing strategy. We talk about what are your short-term objectives and what are your long-term goals. And then we set up an initial one-on-one -on -one goal setting consultation so we get to know each other better. And then you get access to all the training classes that go on at Rockstar. Right now they're virtual, but they will go back to in-class soon as well. There is a fast start class with a tour of properties afterwards. There's a rent your home for top dollar class. There's a Canadian mortgage financing class. There's a maximizing your real estate tax planning class. There's using corporations for real estate tax planning. There's knowing your landlord rights and protecting yourself against the Landlord and Tenant Act, not against, but what you should know about the Landlord Tenant Act as a landlord with one of the best paralegals in the business. She comes in and teaches that class. We have apartment building classes and multi-unit investing classes, student rental classes, investing through joint ventures. We have e-commerce building classes. So if you want to start an Amazon business, two Rockstar Inner Circle members who run Amazon business come in and share how they've done it. We have accounting classes with two different accountants. We have legal second suite classes, how you set up legal second suites to increase the income on a property it goes on and on and on so you get access to all these different classes that we have going on at all times you have access to all the different forms and agreements and all the step-by-step -step real assist, real estate systems that we use for all the different strategies so you know things like rent to own is different than student rentals is different than second suites so all the different strategies are mapped out for you we have a 12 page monthly uh newsletter that we send out in the mail. And in there, we highlight different Rockstar Inner Circle members who are investing and they share their stories so that we can all learn from each other. We have a Rockstar Inner Circle members only monthly audio that we share via MP3 and still CD if you can believe it. Yes, we have some Rockstar Inner Circle members who still love CDs and we still mail those out, but there's MP3 access to that as well. You have a members only website. And then we have our bigger events, which we don't know currently what's going to happen with our next event. Um, but that one we have usually 750 people at. So we're going to wait to see when that's all cleared to go again. That might not be until 2021. Who knows how that's going to all work out. But those we do multiple times a year and a whole bunch of other things you get as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. So if you want to join up and work with us to build your real estate portfolio, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. There you go. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. 
It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. So we are starting, Nicholas Alexander Carazza. And I know you can hear me. Yeah, you don't even have to say it. No, you, I know. I, it's only been, what is it, about 150 episodes or something, and now you finally realize that the mics are working. So it's been, it's been, a, good, uh, it's been a good run. I think I'm the one now getting annoyed by the question instead of you getting annoyed <laughs> by the question. Yeah, I just came to terms with it. I, I got so beat down after. I was like, all right, I'm good. I embrace it. Okay, look, so we haven't done this in a while. We haven't sat down and gone through some of the new stuff that's happening in the world. And I thought I just brought up three different articles. Why are things happening? Apparently. Things happening in the world. There's stuff going on. In 2020, apparently things happen. And how hard are we all going to party in 2021? Oh, no, sorry. At the no. end of 2020 for 2021. No, no, we're not. Gonna, we're still not going to be allowed to party. No, no, no. That's, that's you know, four years maybe. Yeah, no, we're going to party. Even, even I was going to say even if it's a big Zoom party, but that would be the I'm most waiting, depressing New Year's party ever. I'm waiting to see how they change the narrative again if these vaccines don't come out. But apparently Russia's Russia's all in. They got it. Oh, they, they let's figured not it even go down let's this see. rabbit hole. I did see British Columbia has some cases that are up but they're saying they're going to continue to open schools and stuff so no we got to talk about i want to see how this russian one goes this is going to be this is going to be a good test i'm not <laughs> taking any russian vaccine i'll tell you right now i am not taking a russian vaccine we'll see how it goes i mean i don't know we'll see I, well they're running uh, tests look, now we, have, running we both tests have a lot months. of good russian friends great russian friends oh yeah but we're not taking any vaccine that's coming I from hope the it russian works, government actually. i've never been to russia i really want to go see moscow i heard it's kind of cool like it's like just a great city and uh, so i hope it works and then that can be my next trip you're going to get the vaccine in Russia? No, I'm not I'm not getting it. No, I'm just going to oh. go visit that. Oh, way, that I thought that, you were taking a vaccine trip. No, because then if that if that country has no more cases, then I can come back to Canada without having to lock myself in a closet for two weeks or whatever the, oh, the rules are. But yeah, that's not, conversation. The, that's not the purpose yeah. of the podcast. Yet. Yeah, let's just switch it over to... <laughs> we want to talk about the other stuff that's happening. Yeah, we want to talk about the stuff that's happening that we thought might take 10 years to develop that's happening all in about nine months in 2020. <laughs> One of the things, listen, one of the first things I have up, and if you're listening to this, you can't see it, so I'm going to read it. It's a Globe and Mail article that came out on August 12th, 11th, 12th, I can't see that, 12th. Um, and the headline of the article is The Surprising Resilience of the Canadian Housing Market. And we're seeing, and it's an, a BMO economist is talking about it, the surprising resilience of the Canadian housing market. And Nick, I just wanted to get your opinion on this, because what freaks me out is that are we the uh, part of the small minority that is actually looking at the fundamentals? Like, why are they surprised when there's this much demand in the system and with this much non-impact to many employees well, who are they, still getting income? I think the problem with stuff like this is someone's just looking at it in a vacuum, right? So they just look at what's happened over the last four, uh, I don't even know how long it's been, whatever, five months, the economy shut down, unemployment went up, and, and they're like, I don't, like, it's a resilient housing market. And they're right. If you look at it in that vacuum, they're, they're absolutely right. But if you look at it and you take a longer term approach, which we typically do, then you see that what's happened over the last however number of years, let's say really the 10 years since the last since the financial crisis in 2008, that's led to where we are today. So the, the, the last four or five months has had an impact. But because of what's been built up over the last 10 years, that impact has been muted compared to what some people thought it would be because they're only looking at it in the last four months. And what we're talking about by that is the, the household formation and population growth, which we've talked about before, versus the supply that's come on the market. And that has been a constant, there's been a constant shortfall of supply versus the population growth, so demand. And that's, that's caused a pent up uh, sorry, I don't want to say pent up demand because I'm not talking about that over over the um, uh, the pandemic. It's it's caused a built-in demand. Built-in demand, yeah, it's a shortage of supply. That that even if you remove demand because of the pandemic, you're only removing a portion of the of the demand that has been built up over time, right? So so that's where we're seeing it now. If the pandemic continues for a period of time and the immigration grinds to a halt because the borders never open, like let's say the borders don't open again for four years, and and it, the you know the uh, um, the the employment rate doesn't come back, so it's it hovers between twelve and fifteen percent for four years. Well, then yeah, the housing market's not going to survive that, right? But if they're looking at it in this little this little isolated bubble of four months, they're missing the bigger picture. And in anything like that, it's a complex market. You have to look at it in the bigger picture, and it doesn't even move as fast as like stock markets that have these these you know computer algorithms so they can move on a dime they can move up or down 10 percent 10 points you know they can have these flash crashes or flash increases there's all these these types of things so i think that's where it's not that they're they're like wrong i think they're just misguided because they're taking such a short-term view of it 
Mm-hmm. And and they don't even talk about the drop in interest rates. Yeah, you're right. That whole other thing. Yeah, where the, the government tried a to point and it. a half. Yeah. So now a five year rate, you can get it like two point. Let's call it three three. I think you can get it. No, under, sorry, right? sorry. One point nine nine. You can get it under. What am I saying? Yeah, I was yeah. about to say three something. You yeah. can get five year money at like two point one percent, two point two percent. One nine nine was ad, an advertised yeah, so five year rate. So right? one nine nine. So we have built in demand in the system, and interest rates are low. And then there is some, and we are seeing it in the outskirts. I think we can say all around the outskirts of the GTA. So to me, that would mean like, you know, uh, Niagara, Hamilton, Kitchener, Barrie, all of Clarington, Peterborough. We are seeing people want properties out there and it's multiple offers all over the place. Yeah. It's, 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 it's multiple, it's not just two offers. We're seeing, Mike was just talking about how he had 50 showings on a Kitchener listing. 50. Yeah. I was up uh, just uh, northwest of Kitchener, of the Kitchener-Waterloo area. I was picking up, uh, yesterday I went, uh, you don't know this, I took a drive yesterday morning to go pick up. I know someone there that has his own cows and then he has extra meat left over whenever he, he needs a cow. So I was able to buy some off him. So I was up there talking to him, you know, all surrounded by farmland. So you didn't get any meat for me. You uh, no, just got meat for you. No, no, no. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I, I'm actually doing you a favor. I'm going to be the guinea pig because I haven't bought from him before. So we'll see how it is. But uh, I have had his steaks at his house before, and they were very good. So we'll see. But they. Um, so on he, that note, you know, Mike has that smoker that I want to get. You know, where you put the wood chips in the side, and it's yeah, not like it's a barbecue. A barbecue. It is a barbecue, though. Is it? Yeah, those things. It They're creates barbecues? heat. Yeah, the tread. What are they called? Oh, Trigger, I thought it was more like a, or something. Yeah, like I thought that. it was more like a smoker. No, no, I, I, they create heat. They yeah. just burn it, and then you can control the heat from the, those the wood chips. Got it. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, but. Um, um, so yeah, this guy was asking me about the real estate market. He's like, Hey, how's the market down there? Cause I'm curious what you're seeing versus up here. Cause he was saying up and he's even further out, not, not, you know, in the actual kind of communities there, like the cities of, of Kitchener Waterloo. And he's like, yeah, we're seeing it out here. Um, it's just, it, it's all over. Like, like people are trying to come out, leaving different areas and they're coming out there. And then what they're seeing now is some people that are moving into the suburbs. So the same thing that we talked about, the spillover effect, right? When we talked about, um, we, we were talking about it in Hamilton in the Durham region. So all this money came into Toronto and then Toronto, the affordability suffered. And then those people went out to these different areas um, around the GTA, like you're talking about. But what they're seeing now, no different than what we saw, if you use Hamilton as an example, when all the Toronto money went to Hamilton and drove prices up, people that lived in Hamilton were like, oh, this is getting expensive for us. We're going to go a little bit to the outskirts. And then it started driving demand in those areas. And the same thing's happening in the KWC area, um, really Kitchener Waterloo is what we were talking about yesterday, because we're seeing those prices jump there. And then people are going out to the outskirts, which is more like the farm countries there and some other communities and is driving up prices in those communities from the people that were long-term residents of the Kitchener-Waterloo area. So we're seeing the same trends repeat like themselves Saint, Saint over Thomas, and over again. Like in St. Thomas because of London. London's yeah. getting more activity yeah. so more people are going into St. Well, Thomas. And exactly. And it's like, look, it, the first time I heard about Brooklyn, Ontario, it was, I guess it was probably like 15 years ago. And, and I, I knew someone that lived there and when they said Brooklyn, it was like someone's boyfriend it was a friend of ours boyfriend right and and i'm like this guy lives like new york state you know like i was thinking new york brooklyn I didn't, I didn't know there was brooklyn ontario and then i found out where it was i was like oh my god i didn't know this place existed but now brooklyn ontario is like it's developing and when you drive along the 407 on the east side you see how much how much development's going into those areas so it's no different than the durham region when there was specific areas before but now it's expanding further and further because as those prices get you know the areas closer to the 401 their price increases as well. So yeah, that trends continue. We're seeing it continue, and not even just continue, I think we're seeing it increase and escalate. Totally. Remember, before the pandemic, this year was shaping up to be a very, in my opinion, a very unhealthy year for real estate because the the the, the demand was so incredibly high. And concentrated in Toronto yeah. proper almost. It was nice to, to see a pullback. And, and I, I hope it, this kind of slows down and levels off because we own property, so it benefits us and that's nice. But long term for the for the market, no, for it's the, nice when it's a little bit more slower and stable, you know, increases, right? Because it, it, it prevents peaks and a lot of peaks and valleys. And I think for the social systems in this area, like it just it's, it's crazy when you yeah. see what's happening. Uh, like of course, we, we can't grow at this speed. But, you know, 10 minutes out of Peterborough, we both drove through Peterborough on the way to Dave's Cottage there. 10 minutes out of Peterborough, there are subdivisions. Oh, yeah. Like subdivisions, Everywhere. 10 minutes outside of Peterborough. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, that's to me when I just think it's shocking when you see a subdivision like that. Like, well, Peterborough before was it was like you, I guess maybe because we grew up on the west side of the city. Maybe if you grew up on the east side, it was different. Yeah. But on the west side, you kind of almost consider that cottage country. It wasn't quite, but it was like Close, that. That's yeah. kind of like well, the lakes when you're were all there, there. Yeah, when you once you get to Peterborough, you know you're kind of there. You know, yeah. and it was considered like you're, you know, but but I guess that's from one side of the city to the other. If you live on the other, it'd be different. So uh, the biggest thing that we were wondering about all this is that if the banks tighten up their lending. St- too tightly if the banks start looking around and saying oh we don't like what we see in the economy we're going to tighten up our lending and they have the banks have gotten more picky pickier on what they're approving and you know we've heard of some stories where some people in certain industries are not getting approved so the banks have tightened up some of their lending but overall people with income have not been affected and even the bank's limited tightening so far hasn't had an impact on the real estate market. My biggest question to us is that if in this fall, if any of the economic data from Q2 finally comes out and it shows that it's been worse than maybe people were willing to think it was in some industries, right? Travel industries, restaurant industry, fitness industries, all these industries that have definitely been affected. If And then there's a spillover to that into other areas of the economy. If the banks say, holy crap, and they tighten up their lending further, that would offset any kind of increase in activity because of the decrease in interest rates because interest rates have come back down a point and a half and people are like oh my gosh if I can qualify I can carry the load here because interest rates are so low let me go buy a go buy some real estate but if banks tighten their lending which I think might be coming but hasn't really come in a big way yet that could cool the real estate market and and, and time will tell. The challenge is unless they start doing it in a geographic way there's no good way to do it because what's happening here is not happening in the rest of the country to this to this level, right? And in some places, it's not happening at all. So if they do that, then they're negatively impacting areas they don't want to negatively impact because right now there's a couple areas in Canada that are just, you know, leaps and bounds above other areas. And there's some other areas. So if you look at a lot of areas in Alberta, they don't, they need to stimulate that economy. So they need to, so unless they're going to start having different rules, you know, and maybe that's what's coming, but but it's 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 they. I'm sure they're trying to figure out something because they don't want to see this this continue, right? Because it's 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 accelerating. You know, how we talk about the, the destruction of the middle class, and it's it's really accelerating that. And the government policies this year, and I know some of them were were you know they were necessary because of their the regulations they put in place to shut everything down, so they had to kind of help people out, but. It, you know what they've done is they've just really kind of it's it's they're widening the gap further and faster between you know the 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 rich and the poor and they're wiping out the middle class because the people again we're seeing it again people that own assets are ending up further ahead than people that don't and it's it's you know part of it is is government policy is contributing to that it's a real shame because you think like 15 years ago there's definitely people who said well real estate prices are so high i'm not going to get into the real estate market now because it can't continue like this but if you don't understand monetary policy and how the money game works in the world that's like a fair statement Prices go up and go up and you're like, oh my gosh, you know what? They're getting too expensive, especially compared to incomes. How could anyone afford this? I'm not going to get into real estate. But the, the, the shame of it all to me is that I feel like going to the government and just screaming shame. Isn't that from Game of Thrones? Yeah. What is shame? What's her? I forget her. Whatever. Anyway, I'm way off track. I don't know. Uh, you know what? You know why I had this thought about shame? I got to tell you something. Sorry. We're way off track here. There was a soccer game in London, Ontario that my, my son was part of. And the refs were making such bad calls that some of the parents that we were with started, and some of the most nicest people in the world that I never thought would do something like this, started going up to the sidelines of the field and screaming at the ref, shame, shame. And then other parents heard it and they all started screaming shame and then I was, I'm like I'm gonna jump in on this we all start screaming shame <laughs> anyway like what the, the heck the, am the, I doing the, here the, yeah yeah back to real estate sorry sorry for the tangent there back to real estate is that uh, <laughs> um the shame of it all is that that is a fair thought that somebody could have and they they didn't buy real estate because of it but then they're left behind because they don't buy assets people around them buy assets get ahead they don't buy assets because they think the gap between their income and, and property prices is too big that it can't continue, but it does continue because interest rates go lower for longer and they're left behind. And we don't teach anybody about this still in school. I Look, I have the same thoughts. You know, when I look at the market today versus when I was started buying properties, one of the earliest rental properties that I still own today, I mean, we did a bunch of renovations, but that place, we paid $135,000 for it. 
it needed like thirty or forty thousand dollars worth of work. So like all you know, thir- so what like year was that? Thirty percent. That was thirty percent of the value of the property. So that's like buying a five hundred thousand dollar property now and putting in one hundred fifty grand. So I needed a bunch of work. And that was like twenty that years was, ago. Yeah, it was about, about twenty years. 20 I think years. just under twenty yeah, years. Yeah. Ago. But but so that's what we bought it for, and and like so now if I go and I, and I look at the same property, I think it's probably worth six hundred. And I look back and I'm like, so now you want me to buy that same property that I bought for that price for six hundred grand? So it, it's just an emotional reaction to it. But if you have to, you have to kind of look at the underlying reasons and, and, and kind of what's going on and then you kind of make your decision, decision based on that. But I'm no different than everyone else. I can see that emotional reaction because you're like, what the hell? Why is everything so expensive now? And it just makes these anomalies in the world that when you artificially control interest rates to protect the banking system in 2008, you get these distortions in different asset classes that the people who own the assets where the money goes to first, they benefit. And it's really just a shame. That's why you can't control interest rates the way central bankers want to control interest rates. It creates these real well, that's imbalances where screw- in the market. And that's where I think everything got screwed up. Because look, if you look back 20 years ago, there was, you know, where interest rates were, uh, you know, I guess, quote unquote, more normal, you know, to, to that time than they are today. And, it, you know, that's when I remember when I, one of my early jobs was working at um, 2001 audio video they're still around today and I was like the stock guy and when it got busy I, you know I had to help people you know do some sales or whatever and the uh at that time you were able to get financing and you know so people were buying like a $500 receiver and they were some of them were putting it on like a four or five year payment plan and, and paying 15 bucks a month for all that time you know and slowly with it started with smaller purchases but we created a society that just all they cared about was this monthly payment and it wasn't, it, they stopped looking at the debt amount that they have because they're just worried about their month-to-month payments. And that's what, it, it spread over with these interest rate policies, in my opinion, it spread over to real estate because they made everything so much easier for people, 0% down, they started dropping rates, and they made it easier and easier for people. And I want people to, to be able to buy a house, so I'm, I'm not knocking that, but I just think it's the mentality that that it, it created as well because of the way it was structured and with, with rates that it just created this different, People view it differently, and it's not about what you pay anymore. It's only about what the monthly payment is because no one's considering the debt. And they don't even consider the debt because they just worry about the monthly payment too, like the government, when they do their calculations, right? Actually, no, that's something else that you're yeah, going to bring yeah, up. Yeah. The next one I wanted to bring up is this one from the Financial Post. This is from August 14th. CMHC CEO's letter ruffles feathers as bankers say stricter mortgage rules could dash first-time homebuyers' hopes. So this article is awesome on two fronts. CMHC is basically complaining to the banks because they changed their lending rules and they're saying, hey, banks, you're bypassing the changes because you're just going to Genworth and Canada Guarantee, the two other mortgage insurers, which is like brilliant. CMHC changes the rules, makes it harder. The banks say, screw you, CMHC. We're just going to go to the other mortgage insurers and we're going to give Canadians the exact same lending rules. And CMHC is like up in arms about this saying, we should be more involved. Please use us. And then the banks come back and, and they basically don't say, hey, we just want to make money by lending out more, uh, giving out more mortgages so we can be profiting from this thing. Their argument back to CMHC isn't that. Their argument back to CMHC is, hey, listen, you made it too hard for first-time homebuyers. We are worried that if, if we go through you, first-time homebuyers won't be able to buy a property. Like there is so much, like there's so much wrong in all of that kind of stuff. If we break this down... The fact that CMHC is upset that banks aren't using them, it's CMHC's policies partially that got us into this situation. CMHCs are the ones at one point that offered 0% down for even investors in like 2007, over, 2000. Over 40 years. Over 40 year amortization. And, and then investors like you and I and people we work with, we're going to take advantage of that. But you didn't have to put that into place. You didn't have to. So you put these policies in place and then you're kind of pissed off when people take on the debt and use them. And then you come back and say, hey, listen, you know, we're now changing our rules. You should listen to us. Like CMHC is part of the reason some of this stuff exists. I don't understand why something like CMHC doesn't just come out and say, we don't offer mortgage insurance in Canada. Everybody has to save up 20%. Even if you're a first time home buyer, no 5% down. And I can hear the I know why they don't do that. Yeah. Well, that'll collapse the market pretty quick. Collapse the market and politically. Can yeah. you imagine? Say, it's you're tough right. now. But they to, want it, They could unwind it slowly. So like you're taking the, you know, you're going from five to 20, but they could go to 10 and see what happens or seven and a half. They don't even have to go to 10. They could slowly start tightening and seeing where things go and to try to create resp- fiscal responsibility as well. You know, so I see your point. It makes sense. I agree. I just, I just. I mean, they it, could go to 52, but that It just hurts me when I say I want someone to own their own home. 
And I was able to take advantage of some of these programs when we started out. So to have those programs gone is kind of, does feel like I, I get it. when and property that, prices are even more expensive, I'm like, oh man, like this is how we got into the market. Like, you know, our first family home and that kind of stuff. So to take those things away. I, I, no, a hundred percent. And I don't disagree with you, but to what your, your, your point earlier, like if they even went down that road, they would have to admit that they were wrong. And this is where I think a lot of the thing, the, the problems start with a lot of these policies is. When do they ever look back? And even when it's very apparent that they're wrong, do they look back and be like, man, you know what? We thought we were doing a good thing. It kind of worked out short term, but long term, it's the wrong thing to do. So we have to look somewhere else. They don't. So politically, they just can't, they don't do it. Right. And that's where the, the challenge lies with that. But it, yeah, it makes it, it, it'll make it challenging for them. So, so on that front, the CMHC is kind of this, this weird position. They kind of helped do a lot of this stuff to the real estate market. Now they're saying, hey, banks, you should use us and not the other mortgage insurers because we have higher standards. And the banks are coming back and saying, hey, listen, we, it's not that we don't want to, uh, it's not, um, we're not going to the other lenders because we want to do more mortgages because it's so profitable to us. We're going to other mortgage insurers because we don't want to dash the hopes of these first time home buyers. So banks are equally responsible here because they're just going to do whatever it takes to get another mortgage. Totally. Out the door. Yeah. Like it's a good line for them to have, but I don't think there's anyone sitting at the bank saying, you know, here's what we need to do. We to, need to help to, to responsibly <laughs> help first time home buyers. We need to make sure we're going this way. They're probably like, damn it. We need to get more mortgages in our books. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start go, going to these other insurers more often. So right? I don't know where this So all... if I'm wrong, but any president in the bank can reach out to me directly and let me know how wrong I was and we can have you on as a guest. Yeah, we well, can talk about it. CMHC also said, remember at the beginning of COVID, they said, hey, get ready, everybody. Um, real estate prices are going to come down 18%. And they specifically said 18%. Do you remember that? Yeah, then they changed it a couple of weeks later. They changed it and said, and I'm like, how does CMHC of all kind of bodies inside our country think that property prices are immediately going to come down 18%. Do they not look at the fundamentals like we look at them? Like, how come there's no way we're rocket scientists? Like, we're, you and I are not rocket scientists. How come we're looking at the population growth over the last 10 years? How come we're looking at the housing supply in the GTA over the last 10 years and saying, oh my gosh, there's a shortfall of 14,000 at minimum every year. Over 10 years, that's 140,000 shortfall. So if COVID happens and people's income is not immediately affected, which it hasn't been, yeah. How's the real estate market going to go it down eighteen percent? I just—it's an to me is not even it's not even worth debating. I think it's an irresponsible statement because you can't comment on the real estate market like that. No different than we have seen price adjustments coming down in certain segments of the condo market. Sure. It's happened. Hasn't happened to eighteen percent, but prices have have come down because supply came on the market. But in other areas, prices have been increasing very very strongly, and it was a short term thing. I think it's I think personally I think it's completely irresponsible, and those headlines should be banned. Like they're they're pure bullshit. You can't talk about stuff like that. It's because, frustrating to me. Because then if the real estate market continues for another 10 years, rightly or wrongly, these kinds of statements convince the people who thought they should get into the market to stay out of the market. I mean, we know people right now in 2020 who have sold their homes because the real estate market's going to crash in their eyes and they are going to renting. That same story was told to us by how many people in 2008, 9, yep. and 10 who said, we're selling our homes and we're going to rent for the protection of our family. And if they're looking at something like CMHC to guide them on those decisions, and then it doesn't come true, then they're further behind ten years later. Yeah. So no, you're right. The whole thing should be. They shouldn't. They shouldn't even be allowed, like it's. They need to only take long term views and look at things in the long term. And, and 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 my beef with it also is sorry is that why are they saying that when they're the ones that could have throttled this five and six seven years ago by not offering programs? Yeah. So but they it just help. offer. Them. It doesn't help. Who cares? Like, it doesn't help looking back five or seven years ago. They can still say it because they're not going to go, like, to my point earlier, they're not going to look back and say, oh, well, you know, five or seven years ago. They just have to worry about today moving forward. So no, you're, you're right. It, agreed. You know, it just feels like a little bit talking to both sides of your mouth when you're like, oh, get ready. It's going to go down 18%. But we're the ones who gave the mortgages in the last three or four years to help do all this. And now they're basic because some of their messages coming out of CMHC was that Canadians are a little kind of foolish here. They've run up the real estate market so too highly, but it's been on the back of a lot of CMHC programs. So it's like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? You're just confusing all of us. You offer the programs. Then when people use the programs, as soon as anything negative happens, you're like, oh, real estate market's going to go down 18%. You guys borrow too much. But yeah, I see your point too. No one's going to go back in time. Well, they're it. just not going to change change their their views on it. But my my just my big point with this is like everything is so short term always. Like even the even the real estate market like prices when they're now. So the Trump prices came out last last month, right? And July numbers are are looking great. They're up however many percent year over year, eleven percent, and all this stuff, and it's all looking great. That's great, but that's July. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, let's take a longer term view on this stuff. And that's the stuff that matters, not these tiny little snapshots in time. Like, why are we, why do we look at this thing, this complex thing that, like, look at the real estate market and how many moving parts there are. We look at this complex thing and we're just trying to analyze it week to week or, or month to month. And it doesn't kind of work like that. You need to look at the longer term trends. We're in such a trading environment all the time. Just, I, I just, I, it doesn't, uh, Something's something's missing there to me, but I, I just really think they need to look at the. They should be talking about longer term stuff with that, and they have to be talking more regional. Long term thinking, Nick. No, but are it, you crazy? Well, they should at least be doing regional and break it out more regionally. Yeah, the regional angles are important thing because like that seems like a good point to me. How are you going to throttle Vancouver, Toronto, maybe even a little bit of Montreal, well, and at, then not hurt like. Calgary, Edmonton, well, Winnipeg, look, and look at what, Regina. When oil was jumping, look what was happening to that real estate market. It was completely out of whack with other areas of the country. Yeah. And now when oil had, had been hurt, has been hurting, it's out of whack as well. You can't do the same thing. It, it, just, it doesn't make sense, these national policies, if you're trying to really throttle things evenly. And, and it's weird because, to your point, then what some people get an advantage that other people don't just based on geography because the rules there are different. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's sad, but that's the truth. And it's sad that we all have to become armchair economists. Like the fact that the monetary system is set up like this forces you to become an armchair economist because if you don't, you're going to be left behind. That's true. Re and really, we shouldn't. You should be able to go do your work, save money, your savings increases in value, and life is good. Or hold, hold value. At least hold, hold value. value. Sure. Yeah. Not even increase in value. Sure. Hold value. But because our savings doesn't hold value, we're all forced to become armchair economists, become investors and speculate in things sometimes none of us understand. And it's why it's why we like real estate so much over the years. And if you're if you're new to us, the reason part of the reason we like real estate so much is that the point of money creation is at the moment you and I take a mortgage. So it's one of the few areas of the economy where the regular person, the regular Canadian can create money out of thin air. Because when you go and buy a property and you sign that mortgage document, you're creating the money. And you get the benefit of using that money to buy an asset. And if you're buying an asset like an income property that creates income for you and hopefully cash flow or at least covers its expenses, you get to create new money out of thin air, buy an asset that pays for itself, maybe, maybe uh, creates cash flow for you. And then if that asset continues to go up in value in Canadian dollars, you get to go refinance it, which would involve you going back to the bank, signing another piece of paper, and maybe pulling out $100,000 of newfound money. So you created money the first time to buy it. You created money again to refinance it and pull out money. There's actually one of, a, a guy on our team, Nick, I, I think you, he, uh, I shared this story with you. About seven years ago, he bought a property before he joined our team. He bought that property for like I want to say around 295000 The renters rented it out for like five years, six years. They just moved out. He then took some money and turned it into a legal duplex, a legal second suite. Now he is renting that property out, the top and the bottom, each level for more than he used to rent out the whole home. Mm -hmm. And he's getting $3,000 a month in cash flow. $3,000 a month. He just told me that if he refinances that property, so that would involve him going to the bank and signing a piece of paper and creating money out of thin air, refinancing that property, he can pull out 300 grand from that property and it'll still cash flow like 600 to $800. Is that not insane? And if you didn't get that piece of real estate, you would have no access to the cash flow. You would have no access to the increase in, in equity and pulling out new money. Yeah, but how long? How long was it? Seven years? No, he's not, that one's a seven year. That no, didn't no, happen overnight, no, for I'm sure. Not, I'm not saying it's it's a bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's it's that's what the the the, the challenge with that is. He was willing to, you know, delayed gratification. Right. He was willing to wait for the rewards of it, and he was investing for the long term. And this is where this is where the challenge is. Like even in our, in the in in our political cycle. When everything is about getting elected every four years, there is such short-term thinking that it is very difficult. It's like the system is broken because if they're only thinking every four years, then they're never thinking about do, creating you know that wealth or, or, or you know for anyone else. It's no different than when I I hopped on the four hundred seven. Um, the other day we were going to Dave's and I drove from Oakville all the way to the end, right? Whatever wherever it ends on the east side there the first time. So the first time I've gone that long, I'm like, how much is this going to cost me? I wonder, because it's always, I, when I get the bill for those long ones, I'm like, holy crap, if you did that on a regular no, basis, expensive. it adds up, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, why the hell did the Ontario government sell that asset? asset? 
Like, think about I that I think asset. they own the extension, though. Far East. I think you're, you're right. Yeah, I, I think, think they own that. I little, think you're right. But yeah, exactly. But why would they sell that? That is like a med, like just the income producing, and it was such short-term thinking to make, to make the budget look better that one time, right? Because they get they get, they got the big payment, so it looks the budget, the deficit, everything looks better, and they, they give up all those long-term rewards. And it's because it's all, everything is based on short-term. And it's no different than, what CMHC does when we're talking about that type of thing, it's it's based on short-term thinking of what we have to do now, now, now. And they don't even think about the long-term impacts of it. And and we know they don't think about the long-term impacts because, you know, Trudeau recently, um, I guess a couple of months ago, when he was asked about the cost of like all these programs that they're doing, and I, I realize this is a different time because of the pandemic, it's just, it, but the statement still struck, stuck out to me because he said, he's like, look, I don't, we don't care about how we're going to pay for it. Because they're like, how are you going to pay for all this? He's like, we don't care how we're going to pay for it. We just know we need to do it. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of like, I, I'm not disagreeing that maybe you need to do it, but you should kind of have some thought about how you're going to pay for it. And that's where the gap is because they're just worried about, to your point, now. the lower interest rates. Can we pay for this now? Because we're just worried about the monthly payments. They're never worried about paying back all that money. And I know how they're going to pay for it. It's taxes. <laughs> CMHC's already looking at a, a, a home equity tax. For personal residences, so you know everyone has the mm-hmm. you know everyone that can't go anywhere. Familiar. I know that can't go anywhere. We'll see. I bet yeah. you it can. Because think about the couple that paid off their house, and now you're going to basically say, "Oh, you have a million dollars in equity," and to make the world fair, because there's people renting and they don't have anything, we're now going to take some of that equity. So no, you I, go to that world. No, I no. Mean, that's, I, so I, I agree with you there because that's when when the way they they worded it, the home equity tax. That's what I thought it was too. But what it is is basically on the sale. There's no no more tax exemption on the sale on a of personal the place of residence. Yeah, that's mm, that's where yeah. it looks like it's going. I agree with you there because that's what I I took it as, and I'm like that's insane. So there's no incentive to ever put, pay off your house. Mm-mm. Right, but it looks like it's the personal tax exemption. But but anyways, it, they're studying it. That nothing's been announced. If it, just to be very clear, nothing's been announced. We don't know anything. But there, there's that's how they're gonna. I mean, anyways, that's a whole other thing about increases in taxes. How they're gonna pay what? for all this crap? But it, it goes back to the same problem. It, to me, it's just short term. There's one other thing going on that's not reported. I just want to bring it to everyone's attention. What we're seeing in rents around the GTA is exploding. We we have somebody we work with in Brantford just did a duplex, a side by side duplex. They rented out each side of the duplex for over $2,000 a month, each side. So that one property is now generating over $4,000 a month in gross revenues. Yeah. Not, not free and clear. Did they clear. buy it? Did they buy the do? I think they did the work. To they create, did a bit of work. Yeah, to, yeah so they Which bought it. Which is still it. fine. It it a bit work. This curious. is not an easy thing. They, they did all the work. I mean, congratulations to them. But to generate on a, I'm talking about a property in Brantford. I don't have the price in front of me, but if I had to guess, I think, I think Mike was telling me it's like, Oh, don't hold me to this. I want to say it's like just under 400 grand. I could be wrong. Um, but $4,000 a month in rent, $4,000. I mean, if you and I, Nick, when we first started going out to Brantford with Rockstar Investors, how many years ago, did you think we would ever say one property would generate $4,000 in income? It's hard to be looking forward to that, that number. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when we first rented out that, that first rent to own we did out there, I think we rented it out for seventeen fifty, eighteen fifty. No, I think it was eighteen fifty. Our jaws dropped. That was one. You know what you would get on that property now? Oh, yeah, on one, right. you're well into high two thousands. I mean, it's crazy what we're seeing, and and that's the point on inf- how there you know there's no inf- quote unquote the government is saying there's no inflation in the world, but if you look at your primary place of residence. You know, as far as rent is going, there's absolutely inflation yeah. in the world. It's funny, but it's yeah. in pockets because in the condo market right now in Toronto, let's face it, there's some new buildings coming up and you have 50 vacant units yeah. and there's something that would rent out for 2,800 bucks is going to be renting out for 1,900 Yeah, but bucks. again, that's short term. Short that's term. short term right now. What's going to happen? Because but it's, it's going to make for great headlines. Yeah, but more and more of that supply is more of it's getting absorbed. Like I was interested to see how it's getting absorbed and it's actually getting absorbed decently. So it'll be interesting to see because it's been a matter of months. This is the biggest economic shutdown in history. And people were making project, pro, projections like two weeks in about what's going to happen. It's it, To me, for a government agency to start doing that, it's irresponsible. Mm-hmm. It's completely irresponsible. Mm-hmm. I got to think the pain comes. I just I just don't know how much the government's going to extend the programs. Because when CERB is up at the end of September, I believe, the SUS payroll protection program is up on the December 31st. I got to think going into next year, things are going to look a little sketchy or the government's going to have to extend these programs. Because there's no way. Well, CERB goes into unemployment, right? So those people can go into so, unemployment so and they're making changes. The, so if you, 
to unemployment to cover my understanding. I'm not, I'm not definitely not an expert on this, but I believe they're making changes to some unemployment to make it cover a little bit more people. So it's a little bit more wide ranging, but CERB does lead into unemployment. CERB was just, see unemployment, you needed like different things to qualify for. CERB was like, Basically, it was just yeah. I don't feel are comfortable you, are you going impa- to work. Are you yeah. impacted in any way? We're just going to give you this money, Basically, right? So yeah. there's a di- there's there's a difference there. But for people truly that have had, um, you know, job or employment disruption, they'll now be on unemployment. And I'm not saying that that's going to make up for everything, but there is still income going their way. But when I go into like a grocery store like Whole Foods that was packed before, packed the hot plate, packed all the aisles, kind of busy, and now you go in and it's. I know we're in the middle of summer. And we're usually not even in this country in the summer. Yeah. So I don't really have good context there. But I mean, there's no hot plate. There's like the the amount of people in the store just look less to me. I I don't understand how we come out of this. So I just feel that the economic data, we're, we're August. I just don't feel we have seen the negative impact to the economy being reported and it's coming. And for us not to prepare for that would be foolish. I think you know our so. whole theory about like short-term paranoia? I think it's smart to be short-term paranoid yeah. and long-term optimistic about your investments and life. Yeah, I think we're in the eye of the storm. It feels like that. Yeah. that's it. We're in the eye of the storm right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's another. I, and I, mean, I just don't know where the other side shows itself. I don't know if it's the end of this year. I used to think it was that. Now I'm thinking mm, maybe it's the beginning part of next year. And then you just like look like a fool if you keep talking about it. It doesn't show up because if they, if they keep printing money, they can just cover a lot of this up. It's just the cost of everything's going to go higher and higher and higher. It's like, well, with the numbers, their debt numbers of where they are now, it's it, it, it gets difficult. Yeah, so Fadi, Fadi, so yeah, long time Rockstar member Fadi shared this with us, this TD article that says, the combined federal and provincial shortfall is on track to reach roughly $420 billion or the equivalent about 20% of GDP this year. Canada's GDP is one percent eight trillion or so so yeah that's above that's above 20 percent of gdp meanwhile the combined debt level is poised to surge to an unprecedented 1.9 trillion or 85 percent of gdp so they're thinking our gdp is higher than 1.9 trillion and i'd Um, bet i'd bet those numbers typically come in i mean usually those numbers come in low right so i i I, my guess would be they come in low because they don't even know how much they're spending like in their words they don't know how much they're spending so it might even it might even be higher. And yeah, but the best part is the end of this TD article here. The end of this thing it has this line where it talks about because interest rates are low. Is that it? Yeah, it says this. A key distinction between then and they're referring to the nineteen uh, nineties, I believe, then and now is that debt service costs are low, underpinned by ultra low rates. This suggests that these elevated debt burdens will be manageable. So to Nick, to your point again. We're spending all this money because interest rates are so low. Everyone's like, well, you know what? We can kind of manage it. The most amazing 20-minute discussion that got completely cut off and we're kind of reverting back to, to where, where we were before. And it was, it was some of the most brilliant stuff we had ever shared. <laughs> so we really apologize for losing that part of this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show. But we're going to finish the episode. We're, we're circling back. I don't so, know what we said. So we're cutting back in. This is like part two linked back to part one. So, um, But uh, you were just talking about the interest rates and what, 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 uh, what, what was in that, that TD document. And... Um, yeah, it's just very accurate. And a, a lot of people think that interest rates are going to go up or, or the comments we hear is like, well, guys, you know, interest rates are going to go up. Like they can't stay this low forever. They're at historic lows. And, and yeah, look, they, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and we've been hearing that for an awfully long time. And what, that's why we've looked at the, the trends and these numbers and, and, and made our decisions based on the, the information we were able to gather and we didn't think they were going to. And with all this debt in the Canadian government, that's why we think it's going to be very hard for them to raise interest rates. Because if they do, they it's not the mortgages that we have when they're coming up for renewal are going to be the least of our worries. If they raise rates with all this debt in Canada or any other any other countries, because it's a, it's a worldwide problem, then the rate the 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 problems we're going to see are much greater than our mortgage renewal. And then we're gonna to have to worry about that. And then even the properties that we have are going to be even like more beneficial to us because there's gonna be some structural problems going on. And now I, now because we did this re-record little part here, I don't know if we mentioned this already, but the only situation where we can see interest rates going up would be that if the velocity of money turns around and it's plummeting right now, like if you Google up St. Louis Federal Reserve today and you look at the, the latest velocity of money chart on the M2 money supply, you'll see it go straight down. So the only way for interest rates to go up would be for the velocity of money to turn, which means people are spending, 
And because there's so much money in the system, it gets out and causes inflation. And if inflation runs up to like this hypothetical amount of like eight, nine or 10%, they then, they being the central banks and banks could raise interest rates to like six, 7% because if inflation is like, you know, if, if rates go to 6%, but inflation is 10%, well, nominal rates at six minus inflation gives you a real rate of minus four. Would, would, so we would technically have lower rates than we have today in that environment. So there is a world where interest rates could go up. Don't think it's completely impossible. The only reason sometimes Nick and I say that we think it's impossible because mathematically without the inflation, they can't raise interest rates because the debt burden is so high that the interest payments on the debt would suffocate the economy. Mm. So they need inflation in order to raise rates. So there is a world where rates can go up. But even in that world, you want to own hard assets and sound hard money, hard assets, because they go up in value in that world as well. Yeah. So that was, no, 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 I'm that was my big point because I was just looking at Nick like, Nick, that's a good point right there. No, I'm pausing because I'm like, <laughs> did I say this already when we spoke once? But, but the, the thing about that is, is just the, the wages. If the wages don't keep up in that environment and that's where things get, get messy quickly. And that's where you get the destruction of the middle class. Yeah. Like you get the destruction of much more than the middle class. You get destruction of social systems in a world. And, and this is why I think we're seeing some of what we're seeing all around the world. Like look what's happening in the U.S. Look what's happening. Well, well, Venezuela is an old story, but look what's happening in Lebanon. Look what's happening in Turkey right yeah. now. So all over the world, you have people kind of pushing back on the current system. And to me, the economic underpinning of a society is what dictates, I don't want to say the fairness, but the opportunity, the kind of like, I don't want to have guaranteed equal outcome for everyone, but I do want to have guaranteed equal opportunity for everyone around me. And without the right economic system underneath, underpinning that society, I don't know if you can get it. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I don't. I, I agree that I think outcome needs to be determined by um, by effort and and you know and the, the choices people make and, and and what they put in. So like it's a product of what you kind of put into the system is what you get out. So, but um, but yeah, it, there should be opportunities for everyone, and that's the challenge, and and that's what we're seeing. That's where we're seeing things falter a little bit now. The opportunities don't exist the same way for for everyone just because of some some kind of social things going on. And this is a perfect example. Like it is literally the destruction of the middle class. It's just happened in slow motion. It's been speeding up. But if you look at the last 10 years, it has happened consistently year over year over year. It's just people aren't talking about it. They need to wait till it's like at this, it's this over. insane pace to yeah. be able to talk about it. But if it's happening, it's happening right now. in front of us, and that's yeah. the problem. And you have to make move, make decisions now to protect yourself for it in the future. What's freaking me out is like, what does every generation miss? Because I think I think there could be a generational miss happening right here. And, and let me know what you think of this. When we were growing up, debt was bad because interest rates in the 1980s was like 16, were, were like 16%, 17% on some mortgages. So you did everything you could to pay off the debt because at that interest rate, it was crushing, right? So debt was bad. That then trained our generation, Nick, to think you don't get debt, you don't buy properties with mortgages because debt is bad. Meanwhile, when the monetary policies underneath the system changed in the late 1990s when Greenspan just lowered interest rates and then continued them lower after the NASDAQ crash, you went through like 1996 to, to present day where if you bought properties, debt was good. Debt wasn't bad. It was well, good. It's outperforming. So, yeah, the, so the, the my, price increases. So my, so we're all trained now. So, here, so here's where my brain goes. It's always like, what are we thinking? What are we missing now then? Like, what are we so trained over the last 20 years to believe that we're missing now? And here's part of what I think is that we've been so trained to think cash is bad. You don't hold cash because cash is bad. You got to get rid of the cash yeah. and you got to get investments. And I'm like, hmm, there's two things that you might be missing when you think that. You might miss if deflation is ahead, cash could be good. There could be a short term before the central banks respond where deflation, cash is king because the value of things goes down temporarily until they can kind of force some inflation. So, so don't ignore the point that in today's world, cash could be good and you don't study hard money because there's no need to. You just, if you ever made any money over the last 20 years the or got any money, the first thing you did was with it was buy an investment, get into the stock market, buy some real estate, do something with it. But now all of a sudden, the understanding of gold and Bitcoin, because they're hard money. And what I mean by hard money, for you, for those of you listening who, who aren't familiar with that concept, that's a concept where the government money is easy money because they can double the money supply at a, at a moment's notice. 
Justin Trudeau could talk to the Bank of Canada tomorrow. They could double the amount of money. Everybody gets like $10,000 SERP payments in their bank accounts and all the money is created. That's easy money. Hard money is money that can't be created easily. The gold supply in the world can only go up about 1.8% a year. The gold miners cannot produce any more of that right now anyway. And that's historically over decades. That's about where it's at, 1.8%. Bitcoin's roughly about the same um, growth rate. You know, there's like 18 million Bitcoin or whatever. There's going to be 21 million total over the next 100 years. That will be done. It's about a 1.8% growth rate or whatever it is. Someone can take me to task on that. I'm sure I'm off slightly or whatever. But that is hard money because the, the stock cannot be greatly affected by the new supply. That's why you hear these concepts when, it talks, when we talk about money that I think everybody should get more and more familiar with. Stock to flow, hard money, money supply. These are all concepts that none of us have been trained to study because it hasn't been important in the last 25 years. But in this next decade, these could be the things, if you understand them, can make you comfortable buying gold at today's Canadian dollar price, can make you comfortable understanding things like Bitcoin. And and if you have a basket... But the of- reason you do it, I just want to be clear, because it's, uh, I think it's to protect your purchasing power. It's not... We don't... Yeah, it's not at, out of greed. Well, we don't look at it as, as gold as this great investment, like you're buying a stock. And you're going to get it, rich. Like, yeah, it's not yeah. about that. It's to protect your purchasing power. Mm-hmm. So that you're the what you... The, the savings you have today... Because because what happened? What's happened is over the years, our um, our incentive to save money has been diminished. Because if we can, if we save money, if we made money ten years ago and we save it and try to use it today to buy something for ourselves, some sort of asset, that buys a lot less of that asset than it did in the past. So our our the incentive to save has has gone away because of these policies, and it's created a, a more more and more people that are then now don't have this cash available to them and don't have the savings. Right, and there's logic to not having it because they're like, well, why am I going to save this if this is just diminishes in purchasing power and eventually goes away? But if you're able to protect it, then all of a sudden you can put yourself on a safe financial footing because you have then uh, savings that are that are protected from inflation or from a, a lot of these policies in place. And then now all of a sudden, when your your work today that you put into the system today is valued the same way. 10 years from now because you've protected it by putting in, in in something that that like like some sort of hard money and that's the big difference otherwise we're all getting ripped off because the effort that we're producing and being rewarded for today is just gets diminished by the time we need to use that effort to support our livelihood and our lives in the future it's right? a scam <laughs> <laughs> but you know i think it's so true because i was talking to aiden about this so my son turned 18 and early on, he was saving his money and we would quickly turn his money into silver or gold. And he came home when he was like 10. One day he's like, Dad, I th- some of my friends are talking about bank accounts. Why don't I have a bank account? I'm like, ah, you don't worry about that bank account stuff. You'll have a bank account soon enough for the rest of your life. You want to save. It pays but you interest of You know how zero, happy he is zero. now, though? Now he, just, he forgot that he was saving on gold and silver when he was younger. Now he's like, hey, Dad, how, many, how much gold do I own? And he's very happy. You know, he does, it's not like he has a pirate's war chest of gold or anything, but he does have some gold savings and he's very happy. And now I'm teaching him about Bitcoin as well. You know what? I, I'd like to, I, I just, for curiosity's sake, if, if I'd like to go back and look at the price, the US dollar price of gold, let's say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and I want to look at the cost of, so you're Tom's computer sitting in front of me, his MacBook Pro here. And I want to look at the cost of a MacBook Pro. And I want to see how much MacBook Pro, is it a whole one? Is it half of one? Does gold buy? in you know the last however many years in these five-year increments i'd be curious to see it because the price totally. is up now so i know what kind of macbook pro it, pro it buys now and i'm thinking roughly i know the price before and i kind of have a sense of what it what it bought before i'd like to see that because it's much more valuable than if he had just the money because if he had just the money before then he's not he's going to need more money to buy this macbook pro than he would if because he saved it in a, a i'm talking specifically about a gold coin yeah, right. you, you know when you you know when you hear about that. Um, I don't know if you've heard this analogy before. I'm not sure it's an analogy, just a way of thinking about gold or whatever. You know when you hear that about. And, and I just want to make something clear. Sorry to cut you off, but it's this. This isn't a gold thing to us, or to me at least. It's not a gold. I don't give no, a. No, it's damn. living life on our terms. Well, yeah, but I don't give a damn about gold. No, like I'm not this gold it's, bug that's like, oh, you, it's gold, gold, gold. It's just it's anything that protects the value of 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 my savings. I I worked my ass off to earn this, and I don't think that it should just be. Uh, I was going to say flittered away. I don't know what that is, but just kind of like something. I don't think it should be flittered it away. Should just be, I think it went from floated, then I was trying to think of something else. I don't think it should just disappear because of these government policies. I, I, yeah, exactly. I think in order to, uh, to, to live life on our own terms, we have to protect our purchasing power because when we, you know, 
when we put out some of our own labor to create something and we're, when we create income for that, from that, the income we earn, we don't want it to be distorted away. So we want to figure out how to live life on our terms. And, and unfortunately, that means becoming armchair economists and talking about this stuff so we can protect ourselves. And the one little analogy that I like all the time is that one gold coin in the early 1900s got you a good suit. Like a good suit was one gold coin. Today, what's a good suit at Harry Rosen? A good suit's what? Thousand, two thousand bucks? Right? Yeah, it's depending on one, gold, one gold, coin. gold coin. So a good suit and a gold coin have never changed the value. Now a good suit at the you know the beginning of nineteen hundreds or whatever it was was this, like this chart we're looking at says suit plus coat. A suit and coat. Yeah, it's usually used as a suit. We have something up on the screen here that somebody had tweeted out. But um, a good suit, um, you know, back in the early nineteen hundreds was like twenty bucks. Now a good suit is, you know, you yeah. call it but a thousand, two thousand dollars. So what has changed? The suit itself has not changed. The gold coin has not changed. But the dollars that it took to buy either of those things went from twenty dollars to like two thousand dollars. Yeah. So if your grandfather worked back then and he was trying to leave some of his because the the the, the income or the assets that he earned at that time, that is a reflection of his contrib you know, in society we, we we gauge that by there's a monetary value to it. So that's his contribution is what he's earned. And now if he gives it to you back then and it's just in dollar bills, all of a sudden everything that he's done gets diminished. The value of it in society gets diminished over time. Whereas if he does it in this way, it doesn't. It protects it for you if that's what, he, if that's what he's trying to do. The best one here that I see, there's a couple here. It says car in 1900 was a, 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 um, a thousand, what's that? Oh, a thousand gold coins, I guess, for a car. And then now in 2020, it says 70,000. Oh, sorry, that's the price. No, I think it's talking about so dollar that's the dollar price. So $1,000 for a car, 2020, it's saying 70,000. It's using that that thing. And gold would be 50 ounces of gold versus 52 in 2020. And, you know, so just, it's yeah, just like interesting. Yeah, it, it cost 50 ounces of gold in 1900 to buy a car. It cost 52 ounces today. Yeah. It's like the same so it's thing. It's kind of the same thing. You had the money then, and it's the money now. It's going to buy the same similar thing. Like literally, the Bank of Canada's mandate, as published on their website, is to crush the value of the currency. And they say it because they're trying to keep stable prices and they're going to keep inflation at 2%. But said in another way, that's basically we are going to crush the purchasing power of your currency. But And we're publicly stating it on the website here. This is not some conspiracy. This is like their mandate is to crush the purchasing power of the currency. What I think is going to happen, Nick, over the next 10 years is that as incomes get really squeezed because of you know, the economic environment that we might be facing going forward, it is going to be harder and harder to get money from banks. One of the only ways that you're going to be able to get money from banks in any easy way, I believe it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, is through real estate. Because banks in Japan over the last 30 years still have left uh, lent on against real estate. But, yeah, but, it'll, be but the as income, it'll be the, the, the collateral is going to matter. You're going to have yeah. to have collateral. Yeah. And, and as, as people's incomes as a family kind of get squeezed, perhaps over the next 10 years, two years, one year, however long it takes to kind of get through this economic cycle, let's face it, it's probably at least one to three years of weirdness ahead of us. So it's going to be the collateral that you have and the things that you own and the quality of the things that you own, the quality of those assets, the quality of your income streams, the quality of the collateral in your life is going to be more important to, than ever to me. I, I really think that going forward, that's going to be something that we all need to live life on our own terms. That's something we're really going to need to analyze really carefully about ourselves and our lives and what kind of collateral do we have it's going to be an interesting time next few years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the, the good thing is that there's all sorts of opportunities still. Is it, like we, it, I think it almost sounds in some ways maybe that we're coming across negative about things, but no, there's just there's all sorts of opportunities. Just I think it's important. Look, it doesn't matter what I think, but I, what's happened for me is what's been valuable to me has been when I've, uh, when I've been able to make choices in the past and I look back now at those choices done properly have served me very well today. So if I look at that experience, then that's why my opinion is that it's important to do that because if, if, if the, my, my past history has been any kind of indicator, then if I do this now, I can end up in even a, a better place and protect myself, my family, and be able to live life on my terms in the future by making this, like watching these types of trends and making the decisions based on this type of information, these trends now. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. Good point. We were just talking to Giovanni. What's Giovanni's last name? I was Marsucio. Marsucio, the founder of Archangel Academy here in Toronto. He does events all over North America with big guests like, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and Seth Godin and stuff like that. And he was talking about how he's realized in his life, there is always 
opportunity that when he removes the emotion from whatever situation that he's facing, you can clearly see that you can set yourself up to succeed in any environment. And I think, Nick, you and I have been through so much shit over the last 10 and 15 years. Really, that's something we finally come to learn that doesn't matter what happens with COVID or something, you know, in, in, in business personally that's happening or a situation that comes up. If you just step back and you remove the emotion from it, there's always an opportunity. And I don't mean opportunity like you're going to take advantage of a situation. I just mean there's the ability to have full control of your life. There's the ability to be happy and there's the ability to really have joy in your life at all moments. There's not this p pattern of panic you know, kind of exaggerated by the media and then forgotten until the, when the new panic comes. Mm -hmm. There's an ability to to really set yourself up in any situation. So when we when we talk about the real estate market or what's happening in the economy over the next two years and the you know the importance of studying hard money in your life, it's not from a place of fear. It's just that these are the things we think are going to set us up to be able to live life on our own terms. Wrap it up. That makes That's sense. That's good. Thanks, Nick. Hey everybody, so hopefully you enjoyed that episode of the Your Life, Your Terms show. Thanks for sticking through it with those technical difficulties that we had. That was a little bit choppy, but we survived. And listen, if you are listening to this and you want to work with us to build out your own real estate portfolio, you can become a Rockstar Inner Circle member by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. On that website, you'll see all the beautiful benefits that you get as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. This is something we've been doing for over 13 years. We're really proud of it. It's a lot of hard work and we have an amazing team. So you can check it all out at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>